This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 60. Today is Tuesday, October 9th, 2018. I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, I have a chat with Ryan Stimson from The Athletic. Ryan is a very talented analytics guy, and he contributes a bunch of great stat and data-driven Buffalo Sabre articles for The Athletic's Buffalo Division. Of course, that is a very talented group of writers, many of whom have been on this podcast already, a list that includes Tim Graham, John Vogel, Chris Baker, Eric Turner, Joe Yurden, And now, of course, Ryan Stimson. I get to know Ryan a little bit through this chat and give you guys an opportunity to do the same. I ask him about his background and what he does. And of course, we talk plenty of Sabres stuff. A team that's just a couple of games into the season. And sure, while the bar hasn't been set very high in recent years, this definitely seems to be a year that has hope for the Buffalo Sabres. So anyway... We're going to break that down with Ryan. He's going to give us some stat-driven data that I'm sure you're going to want to hear. Right after that, I got my guy Tone Pucks on for some Pat with Pucks. We spent almost the entire segment breaking down the Buffalo Bills' last-second victory over Tennessee on Sunday as they improved to 2-3 and three on the season. While happy to win, Pucks is not happy with the progress of Josh Allen. He elaborates on that. And we also discuss Matt Milano, Chris Ivory, the one Buffalo ticket app being the worst thing on earth, and a whole lot more. I'll get to that in just a second. Before that, though, quickly, I just wanted to give thanks to the many people who listened to my Niles McDaniel story podcast that I put out last week. Actually, to date, it's become my second most listened to podcast since I started the show about 60 episodes ago. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I can't encourage you enough. Please go back to last week's show and give it a listen. I'm sure it's going to disgust you. It certainly disgusted Buffalo Bills Hall of Famer Thurman Thomas, who retweeted the show out and supported this kid. And listening to this show is great, but action, action is also needed to make things matter. Again, I'm not going to go into details now, today, Just if you haven't done so already, please go back to last week, give it a listen, and make sure you also see the show notes because you can find out what you may be able to do to help this kid out. It's just so important. So please go back and do that. And again, thank you to everyone who has listened. So anyway, 
I thank you all for that. And now let's get things back on track here with today's show. I got a solid Buffalo-based episode in store for you today. Here's my interview with the Athletics' Ryan Stimson, followed immediately by Pat Whipucks. Top shelf where Mama hides the cookies! Okay, my guest today is a contributing writer at The Athletic, where he writes exclusively on Buffalo Sabres analytics, something he's done extensively for the past five years. I'm telling you, the guy is a leading pioneer when it comes to this stuff, and more and more fans are starting to understand the significance of the type of work that he does. I'm talking about Ryan Stimson. What's going on, man? Finally, good to get you on this podcast and chat for a little bit. How you doing? I, I'm awesome, Patrick. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, looking forward to getting into stuff with you here. Yeah, it should be fun. And I've never had a conversation with you before this. So from my end, this is going to be just as interesting for me as well, getting to know you just like the people out there listening. We'll get into Sabre stuff in a few minutes, okay? But before that, you're kind of new to the mainstream media hockey fans. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, where are you from and where did you grow up? Yeah, um, I... uh I live in Rochester. I grew up in Rochester, New York. For those that don't know, it's about an hour east of Buffalo. You know, I've lived in different towns here all my life. I, you know, really kind of got into hockey in my, I want to say like maybe early to mid-teens or so. Um, my uh, my father lived, uh, still lives downstate near, you know, like near the city and near, near New York City. And when I'd go to like visit him, you know, he'd take me to Devils games. So I really kind of got into hockey, became a Devils fan that way. Uh, and I've been a Devils fan ever since, although, you know, I'm kind of putting my fandom on, on the side here this season, obviously getting into the Sabres and learning more about this team. And right. and I've always, you know, had a, a local interest, local rooting interest, you know, for the Sabres. I've been to, you know, a bunch of exciting games. You know, I was at the, uh, uh, was it back when I was back in college? You know, I was at the, uh, Opening playoff game, 2006, Danny Briere scores double overtime against the Flyers. You know, that that big game that fan oh, fans yeah. will probably remember is the yep. uh, the Campbell hit on Umberger. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I've, uh, you know, had in, in appreciated and experienced my fair share of Sabres uh, games and fandom as well. Who would you like watching the most? Uh, Patrick Eliash. Uh, he was he was my favorite, hands down. The, uh, you know, A-line that he had with Peter Sikora and Jason Arnott. Uh, in the late '90s, early 2000s, you know that was a, a real treat to watch. But Eliash, um, who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, you know, I was a big fan of uh, you know Bobby Holik. You know, when I was younger as well. Probably those two are probably my favorite Devils growing up. Besides hockey, you said that you started to get into hockey as a mid teenager. Were there other sports that you liked growing up too, or is it you pretty much just a hockey guy? No, I mean, you know, of course. You know, we grew up, uh, you know, in America, of course, you know, we grew up watching football in the NFL, right? So, sure. you know, obviously everyone in my family are Bills fans, extended family Bills fans, all friends Bills fans. So I, of course, being a little bit of a rebel, grew up and some of my earliest memories are, you know, the Bills run to the four Super Bowls that my parents would have folks over at their, our house for Super Bowl parties, you know, some of my earliest memories. And and I just remember a bunch of people being a, gathered around the room, being real sad and angry all the time. I was like, well, I'm not rooting for this team. You know, screw that. <laughs> but uh, so I, I uh, kind of, you know, I, I've grown up to be a Packers fan. I always was a Packers fan when I was younger and, and still am. But, uh, you know, occasionally, again, we'll root for the local team when uh, when they don't play the Packers. So, uh, you know, obviously a couple weeks ago, my family wasn't speaking to me. So but uh, <laughs> um, other, other than football, I guess football again. Right. So European football or soccer. 
is a huge, huge interest of mine. I uh, always was kind of had a passing interest in it, but uh, I really got hooked on it in the 2006 World Cup. Um, I was, you know, living in this like, you know, studio apartment, you know, uh, summer uh, at, at college. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to do, obviously, because nobody was in town in, in the where I went to school. And I was just kind of finishing up a couple summer classes, trying to get ahead for the next semester. And, and I was like, eh, well, all right, well, I'll give the World Cup a shot. And then, you know, like 30 days later, I was like watching every minute of every match. I was like, wow, I'm hooked. So, uh, you know, big soccer fan. I support Liverpool. And so, yeah, if uh, people want to talk about that, hit me up on Twitter, too. I'm happy to talk about soccer <laughs> all day long. So, When did you first become interested in the analytical side of stats and, you know, in the analytical side of hockey in general? Was it were you younger, an adult? When did this first start happening for you? Um, it definitely when I was an adult, um, you know, I always loved kind of studying, you know, with football, it probably happened with football first is just kind of studying how, you know, cause, cause football is just such like a chess match, right? How teams line up the different sure. coverages, where you blitz from all that stuff. And so that kind of thinking, that kind of study, uh, and analysis was always uh, a big interest of mine. And, you know, it's just kind of how I'm wired is trying to figure out, okay, well, why did that work? And, you know, soccer had, you know, we're going back five, six, seven years now. Soccer had a lot of data available that was kind of being put out there in really interesting ways. Um, you know, different types of charts, different kind of maps of, you know, what players did, you know, how how good a passer this player was, you know, how fast this player moved, how many kilometers this player traveled. And and really kind of what got me hooked into it is uh, this book, uh, Soccernomics, uh, which is a really great read um, by Stefan Szymanski and uh, Simon Cooper, I believe. Hopefully I got those names right. It's been a while since I read it, but I think that's right. But, um, you know, I was reading some really interesting, you know, ways teams kind of analyze players. And, you know, this is back on, of course, Moneyball becomes a book and movie and is very, very popular. Right. Um, and I'm like, wow, that's really interesting how, you know, we don't have anything for hockey publicly available. I mean, we really kind of still don't. But uh, as far as how you can analyze different types of plays, you know, which players contribute in different ways. And so I really kind of just, you know, was always interested in and in, was very interested in hockey. And I was like, man, why don't we have any of this stuff? This is awful. And then one day I just kind of decided that, well, I'm going to go out and prove, you know, just how good a passer Patrick Elias really is. And so I, you know, was watching all the Devils games. And I really, it really just kind of started with, you know, jotting a few you know, data points into a spreadsheet while watching some Devils games back in the was a 13-14 season now. And then just kind of learning how to analyze it along the way. Hmm. Now, analytics surely aren't something that everyone grabs. At least not now, anyway. It's still relatively new. Do you find it difficult sometimes trying to explain the analytical side of things to people who just don't get anything in hockey besides, you know, goals, assists, points, maybe plus minus, that's it? Yeah, I mean, it really only gets frustrating when you're you're dealing with people that are either being like disingenuous or deliberately, you know, intentionally ignorant. Most people, you know, and I've, you know, worked with people that you know might have been a little either old school or, or apprehensive about it. Um, and when you when you portray it as just you know, because coaches, hockey players, front office folks, uh, even smart fans, sports writers, a lot of people they just you just presented as like just more information, right? It, it's right. just, it's just, you know, explaining, you know, more about what's happened. 
and, and when you can tell someone, hey, you know, you think that player is great because they score a lot of goals. Well, you know, we can look at, you know, one, they score a lot of goals, usually one of two reasons, right? It's either they're getting into dangerous positions. We can show you based on the positions they get into what we would expect them to score. And if those are pretty close, then like, yeah, that's a dangerous player. He's good at that. And the other side is, well, you know, he got a little lucky, right? Because, I mean, we've all seen that. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, the the game the Sabres played today, they scored on, what, three three goals on four shots or whatever in the second period today? I mean, you know, that doesn't happen, obviously, normally. And so if people, like, are doing that for a, a period of time, people might think, like, oh, well, they're really good. I like them because they score a lot. It's like, well – Let's look at kind of some of the fact, contextual factors around that. Like, are they scoring way above what we would expect? And then, then you just kind of present it as more information, and, and they can learn more about that and understand more. So I think most of the time, people really want to understand things. And so it's not frustrating when you're talking to those kind of people. Um, I, I love talking to people like that because, you know, I, I love writing about this and, and talking to people about it to, to – to educate people on things. Yeah. And a lot of times in those good conversations, you can learn from those same kind of people. Cause they're like, Oh, well, have you thought about this? And something like, Oh, well, sure. no, I haven't. Let me, let me go back and look at that. But it's only frustrating when you deal with certain, you know, thick headed folks who, uh, you know, just want to try to ruin your day or, <laughs> you know, just, you know, idiots. Yeah. I hear you, man. Now the athletic has become a big time online content superpower and this is going back a couple of years now, made big news in Buffalo when they announced the Athletic Buffalo Division. A couple of big-name guys jump on board. You're part of that. Tell us the opportunity, I should say, tell us how the opportunity to start doing some contributing writing and joining that athletic team came about for you. Yeah, I just, uh, it was just, it was kind of just, you know, happened just from from talking about it. I uh, was talking to a couple of athletic writers the beginning of the summer you know, I said, Hey, you know, when are you guys coming to Buffalo? And, and they said, Oh, actually it's happening pretty soon. You know, would you, have you thought about, uh, you know, maybe doing some writing for us? And I was like, Oh, well, sure. So that's, I mean, that's, you know, basically how it happened. Uh, you know, that they, they had, I had been asked, you know, a while ago, you know, just if I ever had anything to write, I could, you know, publish it there. Um, you know, cause, cause they do bring over, you know, they've brought over several analytical minded folks and writers to, kind of, you know, enhance and complement a lot of the uh, traditional coverage you get. Sure. So, so it was pretty, you know, easy transition as far as getting my foot in the door. And it, it's been great. Uh, you know, I, I love, you know, what they uh, are doing and trying to kind of take a lot of the best of the, you know, sports page and put it online and allow people to kind of customize their own sports page, if you will. And, you know, the, the team there is awesome. You know, I've gotten to meet John Vogel and Joe Yurden and Chris Baker and I'll meet some of the football guys I'm sure eventually but uh you know there's uh there's just a good camaraderie you know everyone wants this to to be successful and you know the the uh uh reception that we've had has been really really good and you know obviously can't thank people enough for doing that and um it's just it's allowed me an opportunity to you know spend a little bit more time doing something I really enjoy and that's just, you know, investigating and analyzing hockey and I can do it for, you know, a local team. It's actually, it's kind of funny. You know, I, uh, I play hockey at, you know, just one of the, the old terrible men's leagues out here in Rochester. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll be on the ice talking to people or whatever, and they'll, 
see my name on the jersey and a couple of people have been like, oh, are you Stimson the rights for the athletic? And I said, yeah. And they're like, oh, OK. You know, and then, uh, you know, hey, we like your stuff and that's cool. And, you know, then they'll cross check me in the back. So I don't know how much <laughs> they really like it. But but um, yeah, it's just it's been it's been really fun to uh, to do it. I want to hit on one article that you wrote last week on the athletic. You wrote something about oh, and what is for opening night for the Sabres that the Sabres top line of Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhardt, and Jeff Skinner, you wrote, it's fun, good, and statistically a bad idea. Turns out you were pretty right because that line <laughs> didn't even last one full game before Phil <laughs> Housley switched out Skinner and put Connor Sherry on that line. For people who haven't read that, tell them, why was Skinner on that line statistically a bad fit, in your opinion, from what you saw? Yeah, and uh, well, first of all, like we, we kind of knew it was going to happen, right? Because you know Skinner's the the shiny new toy that the team acquired to score a lot of goals, and Eichel is your franchise center. So of course they're going to get at least a run out together. Sure. Um, we we might see him back again at certain times during the season, but what what it comes down to is the you know the best thing for a line might be the worst thing for a team, and and that is simply goes to talking about. How good can a line be? Like, what is the ceiling a line can perform at? And does that outweigh, you know, any sort of negative impact, like cascading effect it'll have on lower lines, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, you have Reinhardt, who is one of the probably most underrated players in the league, and especially to a lot of Sabres fans. Uh, You have, you know, Eichel, who obviously is going to, you know, be the first line center that carries this team as far as they go in the future. And then you had Jeff Skinner, who's been one of the league's best goal scorers over the last number of years. So putting them all together seems like a dream. It just is so appealing. But we get into diminishing returns on their performance because hockey is one of the more random and chaotic sports. So there is a like you can't put three all-stars together and they're going to control like 80% of the shots and they're going to score like 90% of the goals. Like it just doesn't happen that way in hockey. I mean, right. you look at some of the best lines last season and they're really only controlling like you know 58 59 60 percent of the shots which is amazing and very very productive but that still means that 40 percent of the shots are coming the other way right they're not just literally like parking and establishing you know uh real estate in the offensive zone for their entire careers right or their entire season Mm -hmm. and so when you take players and load them up like that it exposes other players further down your lineup and now they have to kind of play over their head right because when that happened the second line that game you know was it was a mix of uh i'm blanking right now but i think it was like berglund um i think sherry sherry berglund and maybe Poso, maybe yeah. so you know which which you know berglund is a very capable two-way player uh Poso, you know this is going to be a very interesting season for him coming off of what he's been dealing with and you know the team you know, ostensibly better on paper and more deeper on paper than they've been in, in a number of years. So very interesting to see what he does this season. And, and Cherry is, you know, one of those players that, uh, you know, has the skill to play with super talented players, but isn't going to drive a line by himself. So if he doesn't have those super talented players or play drivers with him, you know, he's going to kind of not look so good when you look at the numbers. And so if that's your second line, then you're going to get in trouble in a hurry. And so flipping Skinner, Who's, who's done pretty well with Berglund the last couple of games, uh, you know, flipping him with Sherry. Now you kind of maintain that scoring threat in your top line and you have a more established score on the second line. And Jeff Skinner has made a career out of scoring goals with more like second tier talent in Carolina. 
So, you know, playing him with Patrick Berglund, it's, it's, you know, it's not that different playing with like Derek Lyon, Derek Ryan or Elias Lindholm in Carolina. So he's still going to score. And it just this idea of, you know, diminishing returns on the lineup, you kind of you have to step back and say, OK, how does the, the team best perform? And I think we're kind of we're seeing a little bit of that with some of the scoring that's being done now with a more balanced top six. Now, let's talk briefly about Monday afternoon's game a 4-2 win over Vegas. First of all, I couldn't believe the stat that I saw. It was the first time Buffalo's been over 500 since January of 2013. I know it's been a while, man, but man, if that's not one of the craziest stats I've ever heard, that's not even analytics. That's just, yo, this team has not been good for a long time. Isn't that a crazy stat to you to see that at any point in the season, they haven't been over 500 in like five plus years? Yeah, that's that, that's that's really insane. That reminds me of the uh, the stat that you know Bills fans used to keep on the playoff drought and how like you know the playoff drought became old enough to drive today or the playoff drought yeah, became old enough yeah, to vote yeah. today. And so yeah, I mean that's January 2013. So that was the uh, well, that was the lockout short year, right? And uh, yeah, so it probably was you know the first, second, third game of the season again. Yeah, I mean it's it's insane, you know how uh, you know this team it's just been you know kind of starved for any kind of success. Well, it's early still, but Jack Eichel looks like he's ready to take that next step. I mean, he's already been the franchise player, but it looks like based on what we've seen the first couple of games, he's ready to become one of the league's most elite players. Do you agree with that? Uh, well, or maybe I think not I'm... yet. Pop the brakes. <laughs> Should I pop uh, yeah, the brakes? I mean, he, he's. I mean, he's always had elite scoring talent. I mean, nobody would deny that, but you know, if he wants to truly ascend to the top tier of, you know, centers and players in the league, you know, then he has to do a much better job of, you know, tilting the ice. You know, it's one thing that you can score, you know, at elite level, but, you know, tilting the ice and driving play and driving possession and, and, and shot shares and expected goal shares. That's what you really, you know, look at the kind of the hallmark of, of those elite play driving centers that form, you know, really the, the foundation of, of Stanley cup winning teams. Uh, you know, you, you can't find a team that has won the cup without one of those guys. And um, so, you know, hopefully this is the year he's got a hell of a line mate in Sam Reinhart. And if they keep together, then, then hopefully he, uh, you know, he can, he can start to, uh, provide evidence that he's able to do that. But, but right now, no, I mean, right now he's an elite scoring talent, but uh, you know, we, I think you need more and you want more out of your, your number one guy. Okay. Fair enough. One more Sabres question here. Is Carter Hutton as good as advertised in your opinion? And based on how he's looked early on, how much of Linus Allmark do you think we're going to see throughout the season? Assuming that Hutton could stay healthy. Uh, Well, no, Carter Hutton isn't as good as he's looked. He's had, you know, an exceptional, couple of games here but um you, you know Carter Hutton is a you know, I think at this point you're just kind of hoping that you know he'll settle in around that like 91 92% save percentage right I think right now he's almost at 94 uh with 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 what he's uh, been doing lately uh, I haven't seen much of Linus Allmark I, I would expect them to give him you know between 20 and 30 games uh hopefully a little bit more than that but uh because you know you don't want to wear Carter Hutton down too early and then turn to Linus Allmark and if he's not ready then right. you know you could things could get ugly in a hurry but uh, uh no I mean obviously it's been great the start Hutton's had and you know hopefully it you know can build a little momentum for the team to to build off of that but uh you know there's there's going to be a game or two or three where you know he starts to see the opposite side of, of what he's been doing and 
you know, letting in maybe a couple ugly goals or just some of the good scoring chances that he's denied, you know, they're just going to get through. It's just a, you know, it's just a numbers game and, and law of averages. Last thing here. And then I want to get to the mini lightning round before we end. You're doing a podcast now, right? I am. Yeah. Tell us about it. Where can fans find it? What's it about? Uh, so it's, it's kind of two in one, really. I do, uh, it's called Saber Metrics because I'm unoriginal and the name was there, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, but it's really just, uh, you know, I bring people on who, who I know in the analytics community or, or who I've met and, um, we just kind of take a deep dive into something they've done, some work, interesting work they've done and how it applies to the Sabres. And, you know, there's, you know, just interesting things looking at the Sabres. Uh, it'll, it'll be more, you know, current, uh, relevant to recent games and as the season progresses and as we get more data to analyze, um, but right now it's just kind of bringing people in and, and talking about their work and how it applies to the Sabres. And, and the other side of that is I do a, uh, uh, kind of a duo with, uh, Joe Yurden, who's the beat writer for the athletic and the Sabres. And, uh, we kind of provide, you know, just different, you know, angles of, lo- of looking at things. Joe is obviously there and around the team all the time and can right. provide unique insight from that. And then I can kind of from afar kind of well, you know, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what some of the numbers say. And then we can kind of, you know, playfully get into arguments, uh, you know, during the season. So we're going to, we're going to record, record another one soon. Uh, now that we have a few games to yell about. So, uh, that'll be, that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Joe's a, a very, very yeah, he's cool, man. He was just guy. on recently. Good guy. Yeah. I'm looking forward to listening to that. So listen, man, you're going to get the star treatment here. Every guest okay. I have, <laughs> every guest I have, I end with a little mini lightning round. I think it's a great chance for fans listening out there. They get to know a little bit more about you. I'm going to ask you a series of random questions. No deep thought required at all. Just whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, that's your answer. Good enough for you? Great. All right, ready? Give me your all-time favorite non-hockey athlete. Non-hockey athlete. Um, Probably Aaron Rodgers. Favorite activity to do? Oh, geez. Um... Well, I have two small children, so I don't really have much time for activities. But uh, lately, it's been – oh, geez, I don't even – this probably happens to a lot of new dads. I don't even know what I do for fun anymore. I guess just, <laughs> it does. I guess just play hockey one night a week. That's kind of my night out to relax. So, <laughs> Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite city to visit? I don't like the city, but I like people there and I'm because I have family and friends there, so I'm going to go to New York City. Okay. Do you have a favorite sports movie ever? Sports movie. Um, uh, the Damned United. Okay. Now, between work, kids, and writing, you probably don't have a lot of time. But if you do find time to watch a TV show, is there, are there any TV shows out there that currently that you're into? We just finished uh, We just finished uh, the latest season of Bosch. Uh, which has been a, a good show. It's on Amazon Prime. My wife and I just finished that. So I'm looking for a new one if anyone has suggestions. But, uh, no, I, I like, uh, you know, a lot of different shows and, um, you know, like noir, detective, or historical kind of things. So that, that's the latest things I've watched. What's your favorite spot in Western New York to hit up for chicken wings? Out in Buffalo, uh, I think Duff's is probably one of my favorites. Um, what about back home in Rochester? In Rochester, there's uh, Tully's. It's a sports bar that uh, I used to frequent years ago. They have they have pretty good wings there. So Okay, second last question here. If Twitter were to send you a note and say, hey, Ryan, man, 
You're only going to be allowed to follow one person or one handle on Twitter and one only. That's it. That's new policy. Who would that person be or who would that Twitter handle be? That's it. Only one. I'd probably go with uh, Sean Tierney. He's a, at Charting Hockey on Twitter because Sean does the Lord's work in putting out Tableau visualizations for just about everything hockey analytics you could want. And he does a really good job of like aggregating a lot of work that people are doing. So, and he's just an all around nice guy. So I'd probably go with Sean. Okay. Last question here. You could have three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive, anyone, three guests who you got. Um, I'd probably go Anatoly Tarasov, the Russian hockey head coach who basically invented how to play hockey. I would probably go with John Milton because he was my favorite uh, British writer we studied in, that I studied in school. Uh, and then, I don't know, maybe, maybe Muhammad Ali, just because, you know, he seems like the most interesting and one of the most entertaining guys in history, I guess. So Those are all interesting choices, man. They are, definitely. All right, man, that's a good job, dude. Ryan Stimson of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at RK underscore Stimp. Of course, check out his work at The Athletic. Subscribe to that. It's a really great deal. I read that shit every day, man. I really do. <laughs> I appreciate that, it. We do. That was fun. Ben. Thanks a lot, Ryan. That was a lot of fun. That was a good time. Yeah, absolutely, man. That was awesome. With pucks. Are you a big man? Pop! I'm talking to you! What? You wake up in the morning, you say, I put on my big boy pants! Look, I'm wearing a belt! I got big boy pants on! <laughs> oh my god, that is funny! Okay, do not worry, all of your questions are about to be answered. Cell phones and pagers off. All right, time for some Pat with Pucks. As always, I'm joined by my buddy, Tone Pucks. No small talk here. Let's not mess around. Let's get right down to it, this Buffalo Bills game on Sunday. (sighs) As much as watching this Bills offense to me is quite painful and insufferable, and I'm sure pretty much everyone feels the same way, I'm starting to feel like watching this Bills defense as they continue to improve, that it's becoming just as joyful to me as the Bills' offense is painful. Now, yeah, the offense, of course, they pretty much did nothing. Not not pretty much. They did nothing for the fourth time this season in just five games. That's worrisome. That's more than worrisome. It's, it's a clear problem. But this defense, once again, was completely up to the task, played their best game of the season, and then some in what I thought was a thrilling last-second victory over the 3-1 and one Tennessee Titans a game-winning 46-yard field goal as time expires. I mean, man, after these first four games where the outcome was probably decided by the end of the first quarter, this was different. This was a lot of fun to watch, at least for me it was. For you, was it nice to finally be on the edge of your seat for a Buffalo Bills game? I've seen the footage of Willis Reed, a hobbled Willis Reed, leading his New York Knicks out for Game 7 of the NBA championship, all right, in in one of the more famous uh, uh, injury-related stories in the history of sports. I watched Kurt Kurt Gibson live, (laughs) all right, and I wondered, I've often wondered to myself, 
when will Buffalo have its moment? And that answer came today as <laughs> an embattled Billy Baroquez, who I believe tomorrow we're going to find out, all right, had torn biceps, a broken collarbone, and separated shoulder. All right. Made his way out there to heroically hold for the game-winning 46-yard field goal. I mean, it's it's probably too early to rank it in the annals of uh, Buffalo sports history, but one day after after it's it's you know had a little bit of time to uh, to to take its place in history, you know we should see where it ranks with like Drury's goal against the Rangers uh, to force overtime. Cause it's going to be up there, man. <laughs> the Jim, it is going to be up the there. The Jim Kelly scramble on the last play of the game. Oh, to win in Miami. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. We need to do a, we need to do a special podcast just to see where it ranks in the, uh, in the top five plays in Buffalo history. <laughs> you kid, I get that. But Bill's punter jokes aside. And by the way, it's Corey, not, Billy, wasn't that an exciting game for you? The way it ended, didn't that do it for you? Just didn't. You know, I, I cannot answer in the affirmative there. I, I Look, and I'll say this. Going into today, I wanted this game, okay? I wanted this win. I wanted to be two and three. I'm happy to be two and three. You know, I didn't want to be I, – I don't want to be a doormat this year. I don't want to be – looked at as one of the worst teams because we've got a shit ton of money to spend, okay? And I want to have the perception of a team on the rise, and it's going to take Ws to do that. So I wanted the W, and I'm happy with the with the outcome. But in terms of entertainment value or where it puts my level of, of hope for the offensive side of the football, um, you know, moving forward, that that needle stood still today. It was great to watch the defense, no doubt about it. It looks like, you know, they're starting to play at a level that we expected um, they could play at this year. But Jesus, man, that was some terrible quarterbacking and some terrible offense. And not only that, but he seems to be regressing in a, in a way where I don't even think he's being asked to read much more than one or two routes. You know, how much are they going to dummy shit down for him? And how is he going to grow? All right. If that's in fact what they're doing, because today was just terrible from an offensive perspective. And, you know, we could I've seen some people allude to the fact that it felt a little bit like last year, you know, where the defense held us in and stuff like that. Like if that's last year's team, this is a three touchdown win. Okay, I mean, the defense played well enough that this game should have never been in doubt. And people want to, you know, consider it an exciting uh, outcome and end or whatever because it was in doubt for most of the afternoon. That's fine. But this is a football game that never should have been in doubt. The defense was dominant. The fields were short constantly for the offense and they couldn't do shit. I don't know, brother. You know, this to me is a team that's not very good at all. I don't think we could be picky on how they win games. To me, winning a game is a good feeling no matter how it happens. A win is a win, and that especially holds true for a team like Buffalo, at least as far as I'm concerned. And you think that last year's Bills team, that they win this game by three touchdowns? Last year's team with Tyrod Taylor throwing the ball? 
Yeah, I, I just, I, yeah, I think a, a team with even a below average, average, you know, to below average offense wins this game today by, you know, by three scores. And and the the idea, look, what you said about this is a team that should feel good after any win at this point. That's not lost on me. All right, that's definitely that's definitely true. But at the same time, the quality of the opponent, despite the record. You know, the Titans lose to like 30 teams today. All right. They lose to like 30 teams today. And um, and we were one of them by a point. Well, let me ask you this, because one thing that you and I do agree on, we don't seem to agree on a lot from this game, but we both agree that the Buffalo Bills defense was absolutely fantastic. What do you think they did that frustrated the Tennessee offense so much and a good young quarterback that came into the game having a pretty good season, but man, he was rendered really ineffective against this Bills defense. What do you think it is that the Bills defense did to frustrate him and that offense so much? Well, I thought Mariota was off very early on. Um, there was uh, what looked to be a uh, a designed kind of a running back bubble screen, you know, pretty early where he just sailed it. And I think the Bills definitely contributed to that. You know, the Bills are, I don't want to say that they're exotic on D, but, you know, they'll trick you. They'll they will look like they're coming and then drop off into that soft zone. And, you know, there are times, as much as people beat the soft zone up, and and rightly so, when, like, you know, Ryan Lewis is, is letting a third and eight be one of the easiest, you know, 10-yard gains you've ever seen. But there's also a lot of times where if you think you're getting pressure and a bunch of guys drop into those lanes, it's effective. So they can be effective in that soft zone. They can confuse quarterbacks. They can confuse good quarterbacks, which I don't even know that Mariota necessarily is yet. So um, they did their part. The, the the Bills definitely did their part. But I just don't think the Titans were very good today, especially early. I mean, they just they just slept through it. And I, and I think that you know, thinking your opponent is soft or thinking that, uh, you know, you've got a uh, fairly easy Sunday is a real thing in the NFL. And I think we may have seen some of it today. And I definitely think we saw it against Minnesota. I mean, yeah, that aspect of it all does make sense. And if that's the case, and you talk about Minnesota a couple of weeks ago, that's two times in three weeks now where a team that was figured to beat Buffalo rather easily must have woke up out of bed and just said, you know what? All we got to do is show up and we're going to get a win. And of course, that's the second time now in three weeks that a team that many expected to win left the stadium with eating an L. Yeah, and that's a mistake, man. All right. I mean, I, that's obviously that's a mistake on the professional level. But that's one thing I'll give McDermott, who is, you know, even in a win today, just gets more and more annoying every week. And I'm a guy that is you know, that was extremely high on him, but he's a, he's a corny kind of coach, man. Becoming my kind of coach less and less by the minute. Maybe it's, maybe it's the camouflage. Maybe, maybe why Joe is that? Wins I was, yeah, elaborate <laughs> on that. I want to know why, what, what about him is, is starting to annoy you? Because I, I, you know, I, I feel like he's last year, his, um, his rhetoric. All right. Was felt good to me. Okay. Because of the fact that I was, I just, I couldn't deal with, with Rex, man, Rex and all the boastfulness and all his bullshit, you know, 
McDermott kind of gave it to me straight and, and I liked that. And I felt like, you know, he was a, he was a breath of fresh air coming off Rex, you know, Rex's time here. And now it's becoming extremely boring and redundant. It's the same shit week in week out. You know, I'm just, I'm not getting as much feedback from the coach. All right. Or as much honesty from the coach as I felt I was getting last year. And maybe that's because they're in the middle of a rebuild. Maybe that's because they're not as, as talented a team this year. And he's not one to throw guys under the bus, but listening to him and Bean was like, must listen stuff for me. I always felt like I could, you know, I could, I could draw something from it, whether it was just a a level of confidence or an, uh, an aura of competence and I don't, I don't get that that uh, that confident feeling this year. I think he's uh, uh, a little overwhelmed by it, and you know he's he's trying to he's trying to sell us a you know bag of uh, goods that just ain't just ain't there right now, man. And I don't like it. I think Tom Fox is in a bad mood today. Let's recap this before we move on. So the Bills win. They beat a team that comes in three and one, and you don't like. McDermott and you don't like the offense. Oh, now hold on. <laughs> I mean, I know. Am, we're I, just, am I blowing we're that just out of context? Capping it up. You're, you're definitely blowing that out of context, but yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with their, oh man, I, I, I'm struggling with their commitment to Allen right now. I'm struggling with their choice of Allen. I'm struggling with everything that has to do with Josh Allen. That's understandable. Today. And, 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 and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna point to one play in particular, man. When he flopped after that sideline push, holy cow, man! I you know I felt physically ill. That was the wackest. You've got this. You've got a real problem in this league right now. All right, of quarterbacks being protected on on absolute bullshit. Quarterbacks taking very real hits. All right. That are that are, you know, getting up from it and still having flags called. It's at the center of all these, uh, you know, debates. And it'll probably be at the center of one tomorrow when when uh, a play from the Eagles Vikings game, you know, gets talked about. And here's our here's our kid going out there and flopping like a soccer player. Not only that. All right. But then getting up. And like making the, the the sign to the crowd to come on, like urging us to be pumped for that whack ass play. Frankly, he he's he he's like the coach's son who's just a big giant dick, but no one can say anything about him because he's the coach's son and he is so absolutely protected by absolutely everybody that surrounds him, the entire circle that surrounds him. <laughs> I I am with a very salty and judgy tone pucks today for Pat with pucks. Here's how I feel about Josh Allen. Look, he didn't play very well at all. His numbers were whack. He was only 10 of 19 for 82 yards. That's not what you go out and trade up to the seventh overall pick to get a quote unquote franchise quarterback for. I get that. Wasn't very accurate at all. I remember one play in particular. He threw the ball literally at Calvin Benjamin's feet one of the few times the guy was semi-open on the entire day. But you know what? He did have a nice touchdown run. That was a nice touchdown run. He only had one turnover. And that turnover was equally Andre Holmes' fault. By the way, who I have no idea 
why this guy is on the field getting snaps as a wide receiver. That's pretty sad in itself. He's a special teams guy to me, nothing else. Maybe a red zone guy, I'll give him that. But being on the field for offensive snaps, I mean, come on, man. And Josh Allen flat out, you know, he didn't blow the game with any awful decisions and forced passes, which is a complete contrast to the week before when he threw one of the worst interceptions we both said that we'd ever seen in our lives near the goal line. I mean, that was just inexcusable. He didn't do any of that against Tennessee. I thought he did a good job just managing the game, if nothing else. Or am I wrong? Am I giving Josh Allen more credit for this win than he deserves? No, but I just keep thinking about the first thing you said and all of that about the low throw to Calvin Benjamin. And you just know that ball was coming, and KB was like, I ain't fucking diving for that shit, all right? I'll I'll put my long-ass arms down around my ankles, yeah. and if I grab it, great. But right. yeah, <laughs> that's, about, that's about all I'm doing for that ball. Oh, man. Let me say one more thing here about Josh Allen, and this is my biggest concern with the guy. Maybe he's improving a little bit, but for the most part, I still feel like that eternal clock that's in his head. He doesn't know when it should be going off. Now, he did have one really beautiful throw to Charles Clay. I think it might have been on the third down. Really decisive. Got it there quick. He had to get it there quick. Perfect throw. Perfect timing. But for the most part, I still feel like he doesn't read blitzes well. He doesn't recognize coverages well enough. He doesn't know where pressure is coming from. There's just certain things he doesn't see. And he doesn't know when he needs to get rid of the football. So he needs a lot of work on that eternal clock that is inside his head. Yeah, sure. I I, I remember that throw to Clay. I liked it. Uh, the other throw I liked today was uh, a, a ball. It may have even been on the last drive, although I, I could be totally wrong about that. But it was a ball with some good zip to Zay Jones that I still think yeah. if you look at the pitcher, could have easily been intended for Charles Clay, and he got lucky and it went to Zay Jones. But – if that ball was intended for for Zay Jones, hopefully it was. Um, you know that was a good throw as well, and it's and it's fun when you see him load up. All right, well because he does it so infrequently, he stands back there, you, you know, just just holding the ball for you know like five seconds. It seems like he does that as much as he throws it, you know. But when he loads up with some confidence, you know, I get excited. There's there there is there there is an aura uh, of of anticipation. When that happens, so that that part's cool, but man, you know those those times that he throws the ball with confidence, uh, right now are 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 few and far between. But what you're saying in defense of him today is also not lost on me, as other things you've mentioned today to kind of contradict my doldrums. And yeah, he he did not throw the game away, uh, and, and kept him in it enough to. Um, you know, to get the plays down the down the stretch, none of which he was really all that responsible for. But look, it was a winning drive. And as much as I think he had very little to do with it, and I think, you know, any enthusiasm over it or, or you know, talking up, hey, Josh, your first game winning drive, you know, in, in the NFL will probably be, uh, you know, talked about, if not by the media, then at, at least internally as they try to stroke this kid's ego. It, it It is. It is a game-winning drive. You know what I mean? It is a game leading his team to a game-winning drive. The kid needs confidence. 
and he probably, you know, saw a little boost in it today. And that's a good thing. I still feel like, and look, I'm not trying to play excuse maker for Josh Allen. He's got a long way to go. But at the end of the day, I still feel like the wide receivers that are on this roster do nothing to help him, nothing to help evaluate him. And he needs to have more talented playmakers to throw the football to. You know what I mean? I I, I do know what you mean, but, you know, we've got to figure something out. He's got to throw the ball to somebody. All right. I mean, <laughs> seriously, man, I, I, I don't want to go through this entire year saying I can't get a, you know, a read on, on the future of this player because of how terrible his supporting cast is. That's, that's just not going to fly with me. It's not going to fly with me. It's some way, somehow he's got to go out there and he's got to start to throw the fucking ball. Well, I don't, man, I think it's not a popular opinion to have, especially when you factor in a quarterback drafted as high as Josh Allen to think of him as just a game manager. Nobody thought of Josh Allen as a game manager. He's a gunslinger, an inaccurate one, but one with a ton of upside. That's always been the book on him. But on this team with the lack of weapons on offense and the lack of a offensive line, the lack of pretty much everything on offense, whether we like it or not, this was the blueprint. The way they beat Tennessee Running the ball, playing good defense, not turning it over on offense. That's the blueprint, man. That's the blueprint for right now. I hear you. I hear you. And, you know, I don't mind a game manager as a quarterback. As a matter of fact, you know, if I was if I was running an NFL offense or, or whatever, or, you know, when I'm when I'm known to play a little uh, a little Madden, you know, I still like to run the ball. I like short, quick passing, uh, you know, passing attacks and stuff like that. I like I like screens and shit. They should have kept Tyrod, bro. That's what they should have. The way this offense yeah, looks it, this it year, this offense yeah, it, this year is designed right. that they should have kept Tyrod for another year and uh, and let Josh Allen sit behind yeah. him. Although you could make a strong case that if they don't make that trade, they don't have that extra draft pick, then it might cost them 2019 picks, which maybe they don't do. And maybe they don't end up with Josh Allen. Who knows? And so it's, it's easy to be in hindsight. But, you know, in, in an ideal world, Tyrod Taylor is the type of quarterback that's better suited for the 2018 Buffalo Bills than Josh Allen is. That's for sure. Yeah, and it sucks because the defense is damn good. So what does a, Ty, what does a Tyrod Taylor-led offense do for you this year? Because that defense wasn't damn good last year, okay? That defense had some... A lot of know, luck. They had a lot of luck, all right, forced a lot of turnovers, kept them in games, you know, a lot of things go right, uh, you know, for that team last year. Just, I, I just, if if I were seeing glimmers of, you know, uh, NFL caliber throws, I could at least feel like with the defense that we have, as, as much of a sliver as hope as it may be, okay, you know, there's some spinach scully in all of us, bro. Okay. And if, <laughs> if we just had a quarterback that I felt like, you know, was capable of making these throws at this, at, you know, uh, from week to week, not a lot of them, just enough of them. Then a two and three with two, you know, struggling a- AFC South opponents in front of us, I could feel like maybe, maybe I have a season, 
but my quarterback is just so inept right now that even at two and three with a with a week few weeks you know stare weak opponents over the next few weeks staring us in the face we there's just there's, there's no season there's there's no hope and the AFC's doo-doo man and and we got to sit here with a defense like ours in week five and talk our you know and be out of the picture that's mismanagement yeah man that does suck it does it's never fun when you have a playoff caliber defense and you're going nowhere. And make no mistake about it, nobody's going to tell me that the Buffalo Bills don't have a playoff caliber defense right now. Forget about the future. I'm talking about right now. But talk about that defense. Let's talk about that for a minute. I want to talk about the linebackers. And before I get into the other two guys, I also need to mention, we have a podcast. We talk every week pretty much about Buffalo Bills games. We never seem to mention Lorenzo Alexander. He had a nice steady game again against the Titans, and it's been that way all season. The guy just has steady games. People don't give him enough props. Well, maybe some people do. We don't, so I need to say that right off the bat. The guy's had another pretty good, rock-solid season playing in a variety of roles. But I do want to talk about Matt Milano because this is a dude that we seem to end up talking about on this show every single week. He was really good again. Against Tennessee, he had 10 tackles, one for a loss. Was all over the place making plays. And I barely remember seeing Ramon Humber out there either, spelling him in relief, which seems to be happening way too many times for our liking over the first month of the season. Is it time? Again, and this would be, what, five games? So this is the third time we've talked up this guy in a positive role, in a positive light, I should say. Or at least I have anyway. This is the third time in only five games. Is it time to start talking about this kid like he's a star or at least a star in the making? Who are we talking about Edmonds? No, I'm talking, are we about, talking about Milano. Oh, you ju- uh, okay. I, I thought you yeah. jumped ahead a little bit. Um, you know, I, I don't know if if that's the conversation to be had quite yet. But yeah, man. I mean, week to week, he's he's in the conversation. He's finding his way into the conversation, and it is weird, man. It is just. It is weird the way, you know, he was seeing his reps taken by Humber and, you know, even even spent some time, you know, with the twos in camp and stuff like that. Like, like, I don't I don't know if it was McDermott or, you know, maybe his position coaches, you know, but but they had some sort of strategy to keep Milano hungry that sure as shit seems to be working. I mean, we could sit there and talk about. What are they nuts for, you know, playing Humber or, you know, that sort of thing. But if in fact they were seeing patterns, you know, in, in, in Milano's preparation or just his work ethic or the way he practiced or his off season, you know, for that matter, it's coaching and, you know, the mental part of things, if, if, if their handling of Matt Milano is helping make him the player that we're seeing on Sundays, then mother bleeping kudos to whomever is is the the strategist behind, you know, making making Matt Milano a, a, a pro in this league because it's working, man. I mean, it is just totally working. His rookie partner, Tremaine Edmonds, man, I'm really starting to see a comfort level with him out there. Doesn't look out of place at all. 
We always knew about the speed. Now he's starting to look comfortable. He forced a fumble. He nearly had a sack. He had another good game. It feels like to me that Tremaine Edmonds is a guy that's going to be really good at making impact plays at key moments of the game, which is something his predecessor, Preston Brown, never seemed to do. Absolutely. I'll tell you this, though, man. Preston Brown's a, uh, a middle linebacker on a 4-1 and Cincinnati Bengal team right now, though. I, so I always what? felt you like you sold him a little short. So what? But I hear you. Zero, I hear you. Zero sacks, zero interceptions, zero forced fumbles. Zero everything. That's what Preston Brown does. He has a million tackles, though. Most of them were six, seven yards up the field. Fuck that. I got you. Tremaine Edmonds is is the opposite. You can't get more opposite when it comes to Tremaine Edmonds. Although, again, rookie or not. But he's starting to not look like a rookie. That's my point. No, he looks good, man. He looks good. And and as terrible uh, of a take as I started this season with on Nathan Peterman, I always felt okay about our linebackers. I, I I do believe there were a couple times where I had to talk you uh, into, you know, being a believer in the whole unit. I know you liked, you know, admin. We both liked the uh, admins, but I, I never saw the position as a position of weakness. And, and, and a big part of that beyond just Milano is Lorenzo Alexander. Oh, no, you're spot on, man. You're right about Lorenzo Alexander. You are right about the linebackers going back months. They're much better as a unit than I thought they were going to be. That's for sure. It was just a really good day for the Buffalo Bills defense in general. It was just their day. They played like we had expectations and hopes for. And at the end of the day, that's the sole reason why they ended up with this win against Tennessee. And now while they're two and three after five games. So what I want to do, like we're doing every week is I want to hand out our post game hardware an MVP and an LVP but also, and you kind of built on this last week. That's kind of easy and obvious. I also want to get an unsung MVP and an unsung zero of the game from you. Unsung dud, whatever you want to call it. So we'll do that. But first, let's start. Give me your game MVP. Well, look, man, as far as the MVP is concerned, you know, two weeks ago uh, on a puck drop, I spoke to how unsettling the uh, the situation with LaShawn McCoy uh, remains for me. So uh, in what would otherwise probably be an award given to him, out of principle, I'm not going to. And uh, I'm going to give it to uh, I'm going to give it to a position that you know actually took a lot of uh, hits around the NFL this week. Uh, a lot of bad field goal kicking this week, and I don't think there was a single person who's followed the Bills over the past few years of Stephen Hauschka's uh, tenure here, who wasn't feeling pretty good as he lined up for what was not a gimme to win this football game from 46 yards. Right. You don't hit that. You don't hit that kick. You don't win this football game. My MVP today is Stephen Hauschka. So my game MVP, and I know I'm being a total hypocrite here because I always tell you, don't pick a position. I want you to pick a player. Well, I'm doing the complete opposite again. I'm being a total and utter hypocrite. I can't pick one player. I'm giving the game MVP to the entire defensive line. I thought they were absolutely fantastic. I loved all four defensive tackles. And that includes that Jordan Phillips, who was just claimed on waivers this week. Shaq Lawson had a big play, forced a fumble. Trent Murphy had a sack. Jerry Hughes was outstanding yet again. He had a sack. He should have had two sacks. I'm sure we're going to hear about 
how he would have had a second sack if it wasn't for this new NFL sack rule. We kind of let the guy go so he didn't slam him to the ground. He forced a fumble. Just a great game. So if you were to force me to say one player, I'd probably say Jerry Hughes. But my real game MVP goes in the entire defensive line. Who you got for LVP? My LVP is is going to be the quarterback. Um, I and it's I probably don't go this way if he doesn't do the sideline flop. But it's going to take me a little bit of time to get over that. I hated that play. I hated it. My LVP, and again for me, it's another easy one. Broken record or not, I can't help it. It's Calvin Benjamin, man. It's Calvin Benjamin. I don't care. I keep saying it every week. This A guy this talented, one catch for 11 yards on five targets. Some of that's on the quarterback, but it's not all on the quarterback, okay? The guy's just useless. Get him out of here. Trade him. I don't care if it's a seventh-round pick four years from now. Get rid of him, okay? He runs half-ass routes. He makes half-ass efforts. Anyone who's watching the game could see that. You don't need to be an all-22 expert to see that either. It just doesn't work. He does not work in Buffalo with this offense. I don't know how much more plain and simple that could possibly begin to be. Just get him out of here. Who's your unsung hero? Yo, man, my unsung hero is Chris Ivory. I thought the dude dude ran like an absolute beast today. And I just had a feeling, man, when people were... Hey, look, we overpaid to get Chris Ivory here. There's no question about it. No one was going to give him $3 million a year. It raised a lot of eyebrows, and understandably so. But when you see what he's still got left in the tank, you start to understand. And a lot of those runs today, you know, were not just first and 10 pickups of three yards. All right. They were third and one and a half pickups of yep. three yards. Um, they were huge. He was huge, and I'm glad that he's got that. I'm glad that we're sitting on him for two years, man, because I like watching the dude run, and I'm going to enjoy watching him run next year, too. I agree with you all the way. He was a man's man out there against Tennessee. Easy choice there. Good one. I agree with you 100%. What about the other side? Who's your unsung zero? Look, man, it's time to just name the award after this dude. Now, I know I started the top of this, this podcast you know, kind of joking about his heroic hold uh, on the game-winning field goal. But in all the time, all the time that you've been watching football, have you ever, have you ever seen a holder think that there was a goddamn fake on? (laughs) And they're not being. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, that was bad, man. Uh. I I mean, look, not to mention the fact that the Titans' first field goal – you know, Lacey's missed tackle notwithstanding. The only one of the main reasons he missed that tackle is because there was no hang time on the punt. All right. My unsung zero for however many weeks in a row. All right. We've been doing it. And probably straight up through week 17 is Billy Baroquez. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to correct you. I give up. You're never going to say the punter's first name correctly. This time I actually could agree with you. I just simply want to be different. I'm giving it to Brian DeBall, the Bills offensive coordinator, not because I necessarily think he called a bad game, but one play in particular just made me freaking irate. Third and 22, middle of the field, and you call a design quarterback draw where Josh Allen takes the ball, 
and runs up the middle of the field. I mean, that's just, you can't get dumber than that. If you're going to surrender a drive because it's third and 22 and you don't want to turn the ball over and you think you have no chance of converting, that's fine. I get that. I accept that. But for Christ's sake, man, run Chris Ivory up the middle, pitch the ball to LaShawn McCoy on the outside, do anything except risk getting your quarterback, getting him knocked out of the game, his head knocked off. Who knows what happens if he takes the wrong hit on a third and 22 design draw. That is just plain and simply stupid. It infuriated me. So he gets my unsung zero just for that one play call alone. All right, so usually I'm Pat with Pucks. Around this time, I will start hopping around other sports and topics, getting your takes on certain things. But we're kind of running out of time. So what I want to do is get right to our weekly rituals that we do to end this. Your final take each week, we call it the puck drop. So let's get to that right now. Hit me off with your weekly puck drop. Look, man, I'm not uh, able to speak on this from a, you know, having been there perspective, but there has been just a outpouring of tweets and and other uh, social media commentary about the fan experience for the for the Pagulas franchises. Something has got to get fixed there. All right. Apparently there was an issue with fans being able to, you know, to get into the stadium with the one Buffalo app because everything's gone to digital. The Sabres opener had uh, had a lot of hiccups uh, in concessions and, and things like that. The prices are absurd. And the game day experience is really, really struggling um, at the arena and at the stadium. And it, and, and it seems to be falling on, on deaf ears now for the last couple of years. I, I, I hope that, uh, that, that somebody's listening cause, cause it's a pretty bad look right now. And you may not get a lot of this, uh, a lot of wind of this, uh, you know, being in Florida and obviously having a little bit of a broader, you know, sports reach than, than just here locally, but it's bad. You know, and and they're and they're and they're catching they're catching shit for it. Yeah, my boss says season tickets, and he's very old school. That app drives him crazy. He wants to print tickets, and you can't do it. Just a big disaster. I did hear a couple stories about that. It's awful. My pet peeve of the week is I just I hate being wrong, but I especially hate being wrong when it comes to the New England Patriots. I told you this. I sort of wrote them off after a couple weeks. I saw them play their first three games. Didn't look good to me at all. I was ready to finally be happy to say that this empire is crumbling. But dude, it's not. I watched that game last Thursday against the Colts. And don't get me wrong, the Colts are not a very good team at all. But still, man, with Gordon out there running around healthy or at least close to it, fast as hell, Dorsett with that speed, Edelman's back, Gronk is Gronk, James White catches everything. That rookie running back, uh, Sony Michelle, he's just a stud. Of course, you got Tom Brady. That offense, if it's not as good as it's ever been, it's as good as it's been, at least in the last handful of years. And that definitely spells doom and trouble for the rest of the AFC. I know Kansas City's undefeated, and they look really good. But at the end of the day, as much as it pains me to say it, and it's a pet peeve, I got to say it again. New England clearly is going to be the cream of the crop when it comes to the AFC. Just, ugh. Hate it. 
Oh my God. That just made, that just reminded me that Brady plays Allen on like Monday night. That's going to be fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be awful, man. Oh boy. Yeah, it is. So I want to give my weekly shout out to end this segment. You know what? I'm going to keep this in family. I have to, I'm going to give a shout out to my son. My son's a sophomore high school football player here in Florida and played JV. And he got called up to varsity about halfway through the season, which in Florida in programs like this, that's kind of a big deal. So I'm pretty pumped about that. I got to give him a shout out. And I'll tell you what, by the way, not only did he get called up, which he didn't know on Monday that he was going to get called up. He found out on Monday, Friday night, he's playing. And again, JV, you know, you're playing in front of a couple dozen people. And don't get me wrong. That's a lot of fun, but it's just a different animal. Friday night, you're in uniform, you get out there, and there's 5,000 people in the stands. And I'm not exaggerating either. The number's really around 5,000 people that they get at, at these games. Sometimes more, depending on who they're playing. But anyway, just five days in, not only is he playing, but he's actually on the field playing because his team got up pretty big. He's a second-string Sam linebacker right now, and the team got up by like 30 points. So he played a lot of the third quarter and the fourth quarter, and he had a sack. So his first high school varsity game ever, my kid had a sack. I was pumped. You know how I am. You could only imagine how I was feeling and what I was doing at that time. So yeah, man, I'm going to give a shout out this week to my son. Got anyone you want to give a shout out to? I I just, I first, I I have to just piggyback what you said and uh, offer my congratulations too. Obviously I, uh, I've paid attention to, uh, to your son's early career arc and, and, and where he's slotting into play and, and stuff like that. So that was pretty awesome. And it was, you know, it was good to see dad, uh, you know, celebrate in, uh, in socks and sandals in the, uh, in the photogs afterwards <laughs> looking pretty solid. And no, I have no shout outs for this week. The hell with this week. Catch me next week. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap for today's episode. Thanks again to Ryan Stimson from The Athletic. Dropping some Buffalo Sabres knowledge on us. That guy, really fun getting to know him. He's a really interesting guy. That was a lot of fun for me. Thanks as well to Tone Pucks for doing our weekly pad with Pucks. Always fun to talk Buffalo Bills football. And of course, it's always more fun when the Buffalo Bills win. Hopefully they can keep doing more of that. If you haven't done so already, Please go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called. Subscribe to this podcast. I say it every week. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. All you got to do is go on the app or go on your laptop, find it, hit the subscribe button. Don't have to do anything else because bam, new episodes automatically will get sent right to your phone or to your computer, your laptop, whatever, your iPad. You can play them, keep them after, play them and delete them so that you don't take up all the memory on your device. That's cool, too. If you don't have iTunes, you can follow us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future or award-winning podcasts are heard. Of course, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Tweets. We'll have another show for you on Friday. Stay safe. Enjoy the week. Talk to you then.